0: Welcome to another episode of the Manaverse Podcast with your host Tom Traplin. This is session number 15. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of the Manaverse Podcast, we talk with John Coviello. He's the owner of Little Shop of Magic in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, Little Shop of Magic has been around since almost as long as Magic has existed. Actually, it opened up one year after Magic came out. And uh, yeah, they've got 19 years of experience. They are the largest dedicated game store in Nevada. Over the course of the episode, we talk motivation... As well as the mechanics of uh, running an established and successful game store in the magic community, especially one that is built on magic. So, with that, I'm going to introduce you to John Coviello.
1: Okay, so a little bit about myself. Um, well, basically, I, I, I got into the game side of things, um, the hobby itself, when I was very young. I, um, uh, I remember my mom took me to a, a bookstore out in, in New York where we were living at the time, and I ran into this bookshelf game from Avalon Hill for those that are in the olden days. Um, It was the old cardboard chick counter style games. Uh, It was eight. I bought it. uh, I was super excited about it but if you've ever seen any of those games they're really, really difficult to get into. Um, Not a lot of rules clarifications and things like that. So the very following week I went in and we got a copy of the D&D Red Box. And from that point on, I was hooked. So, um, my love affair with games started when I was eight. Um, when I went into the Marine Corps, um, much later on in life, I was playing a lot of D&D at the time. Um, we, we would get deployed often. And when you're out in the middle of nowhere, um, it's really difficult to get things you're trying to do, uh, to, to, that you need to play. So what ended up happening is, I sort of set up um, an account with one of the old uh, distributors that was doing a lot of mail order at the time, Wargames West, uh, out of New Mexico. And I was doing the orders for uh, all the, um, the hobby people basically in our battalion. So we would get these huge orders and I would start sending them out to platoon A, B, C while we were deployed. Um, that's sort of kind of how I started getting in the industry. Hmm. Um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I kind of The decision was to take a break, go to college, and then come back in. It was right after Desert Storm. They were doing a bunch of cutbacks, and I figured, you know, let's go to school. They're going to pay for it. Um, At the time, I got hired by Hastings, which is – for those of you not familiar with it, at the time, it was 108 stores. It's it's like a chain of uh, books, music, and video stores, but uh, I was doing their – their game buying um, for my particular store and helping out the national uh, buyer with decisions on what to do, what to get, what not to get. Um, we were the number one ranked store in the entire company at the time um, for games uh, sales. Um, and then I got this call from uh, ACD, no, Williams U.S. at that time. Asking me to, you know, you want to check out this new game. It's coming out. It's called Magic, you know. Um, and we ordered two alpha decks at the time. Me and my old business partner, and uh, it kind of exploded. I mean, as you all know, it it mm-hmm. didn't last very long. Um, I think I tried to order the very next week. I'm like, okay, yeah, this game sounds interesting. Me and my buddy played it. Let's let's bring some into the store. And it was already out. We had to wait for beta to come back out. Um, huh. during that, while well, I was going to college, working at Hastings. Um, the year after Magic came out, um, I actually, I am guilty of not playing a lot of Magic. I stopped playing Magic about three weeks after it came out. I know the mechanics, um, I, I know how to run the tournaments, but as far as I'm mostly predominantly a miniatures and a uh, board gamer these days, I don't do a lot of role playing anymore because I don't have the fixed schedule. So anyways, after about a year of, um, uh, magic being out, I still liked the artwork. I was collecting sets. And me and my old business partners decided to go to a convention out in, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was Phoenix or Tucson, but anyways, in Arizona. And we decided to rent a table. I think it was a $75 gamble on the table, um, to see if we can give rid of some of the extra cards that we had. Well, that weekend we pulled in $3,000 in sales. And, you know, um, we we're young. We we're in college. The decision was do we go, put it in a, ke- a couple of kegs of beer, uh, mm-hmm. or do we do something with it? Um, and we ended up just starting going to conventions and selling singles that way. Um, we then later approached some friends of ours who had a, um, it was called the Comic Co-op. It was mostly like a buyer's club. They had a very small store, and uh, it was 300 square feet. I remember that distinctly, and we, we partnered with them. We split the rent in half, so really we got um, room to put, a couple of binders in there and we helped them out on the days that they had days off so the store could stay open seven days a week and and that's how I basically started and, and it kind of grew from there um but and then 20 years later now well, your store is ten times that size we're looking to hopefully expand this year but uh so my my involvement with actually staying in the industry was sort of conscious choice and um kind of fortuitous accident
0: okay. It's a good story,
1: yeah. So, and then I, I believe the first two years I was just working. No, the first three years I didn't, really did not see a dime from the store. I intentionally did not put anything in my pocket. It all went back into the store. So we grew, we grew, and I relied mostly on my work at, at Hastings and, uh, you know, um, financial aid things like that to keep kind of keep on going. And then we finally um I started realizing that the time I was spending at Hastings was actually taking away from this business as it was growing so um I, after about 3 years of the store being open that's when I became basically that's it that was my income that's what I worked and that that was it
0: do you think that was a reason why it it made it so far like is that a strategy you would recommend to somebody starting out to- um
1: yeah i don't know so, so back to that um the concept of like motivations are different person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody's trying to get into this, um, my usual recommendation, to be honest with you, right off the bat is don't, and it's not that I'm trying to to discourage somebody, but the reality is most people don't really sit down and think, "What do I want from this right um, Everybody thinks that, oh, everybody, most people think that you know what. People are making a ton of money in this. It's going to be great. I don't have to do anything. I know magic. I know, um, 40k. I know games in general. So I'm, I'm a shoe in for this. So all I have to do is, is open up the store. People will come. They'll give me money and I get to play dick games all day. That's what I find most often than not. People have a, uh, have erroneous view of what, what this really entails and what you get out of it. Now, if all you want is you literally, you want a place to hang out with your friends and you want to get your games for cheaper, you know, that, That's a set of requirements. If you want to do it, I don't know how successful you can be at it because the expenses rack up and then it becomes a decision of, yes, do I want to do this full time? This is my livelihood. It's going to pay for my mortgage, my rent, uh, my car payment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's a totally different. Um, ball game than going. Hey, you know what? So long as I'm not losing money and the store is open, the two days a week I want to go down there and play. So you do it as a side job. Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. It's just a matter of establishing what are your motivations, what do you want out of it, right? Uh, and then mm-hmm. make the decision. If if you want to make a living at this, yes, it is a 60 plus hour easy job every week, um, day in day out. And uh, the more you grow, that's that's been the biggest challenge for me for the store. The more involved. You you are with it, and the difficulty is to detach yourself from it. And um, ultimately, you get to this sort of weird point that we are now, where it's more beneficial for me to try to kind of get people in place to do my job, so I can do the job that I am supposed to be doing now as a as an executive or whatever you want to call it. Right? I can't be yeah. involved with direct operations of store. I am actually a detriment to the store when I do that because I
0: can't mm-hmm. do it all. Yeah, you want to eventually become an owner rather than another sure.
1: worker in your business, right? Sure, but for some people that's not, you know, when you get to that point, you're like, ah, oh, this is no fun anymore, right? Because before mm-hmm. you were the star, you were the person, the reason why people came into the store to talk to, uh, you hung out, you helped them build a deck or you helped them paint a miniature, right? Now it becomes, it becomes work. Um, so while it is enjoyable work, I'd rather sell games than sell light bulbs, uh, it is still uh, way different than what you might've thought of at first when you go, hey, this is gonna be a fun in games, right? So I would say I don't know if I'd recommend it when we had. I would say sit down, figure out what you want out of it, and then go from there and decide. Yes, I'm going to open up a store. No, I'm not going to. I'm better off going to play at the store and help him out, or you know, be a volunteer at place X or Y, or go mm-hmm. to conventions, et cetera. So um, it's all a matter of analysis of really sitting down and thinking long and hard about it.
0: Yeah, definitely two different paths to happiness. Sure. If you're a hobbyist first, and that's what you really like, you you want to play games, then there are better ways to play games than re- then rather uh, owning your own store, because sure. you're just potentially tying yourself down and getting into something you don't, you're not ready for.
1: Yeah, Fundamentally, right? I really don't play that often. I would love to play more, but uh, sort of when you're the pizza guy, right? I mean, the last thing you want to do when you get home is
0: yep. eat pizza, pizza, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but assuming somebody is either just getting started or in the business and they've decided yes I'm I want to be in the game business for the right reasons the idea of not taking a paycheck for an extended period of time initially do you think that like kind of gave you the runway you needed for your store to be successful
1: yeah, I would say, to be honest with you, it's realistic. Uh, and the other thing that I find that most people underestimate a lot of times is like, well, you know, I have $10,000 saved side. I think that's going to be a good initial capital. The reality is not. Um, just to give, put things in perspective, when we moved the store last, we, we didn't buy a new sign. We actually just moved the sign that we had to the new location. That move was $1,800 just to move the sign. The sign itself cost 4500 to make. So. What you could use as a down payment on the car is not gonna go very far in today's day and age. As I said, I got really lucky at the time. We're talking 1994 here. Um, the internet was just starting. Um, you know, people would actually travel a lot to conventions, and there was this perfect storm of having a game that people really needed. But there wasn't a lot of availability, so you could afford to just take a binder and make three thousand dollars in sales on it. I don't know if that climate is still here. So now you got to start thinking about what's my funding, and then even if I want to open up like a small store, it's got to look pleasant. You got to have signage. You know, it needs to be in a decent area of town. You got to have parking, right? So these are all expenses. Um, I'd say shoestring budget nowadays. Fifty k is not is not an unrealistic thing. So. I don't know how many people have that in their pocket. Assume you go get a loan for that and you get approved for it, um, it, then yes, you're running into a situation where the business is already kind of trying to establish itself and the last thing you want to do is put more drain on those resources by trying to make a living yourself on it.
0: Mm -hmm. So were you the uh, sole owner of the business?
1: I wasn't at the time. I had a business partner, Mike, who we worked together at Hastings. We were going to school together. we were good friends, um, and we, we ran the business together for about three, four years. Um, but during those four years, I think in year two, he actually um, met somebody in college. They decided to have a kid together. He moved to Phoenix, and it became this sort of like, okay, he, he – not intentionally, but it was sort of distancing from the business. He had his kid to take care of. He's mm-hmm. trying to finish school. Um, he got a job with American Express, right? So in the end, he just went, Hey, this is a great dream. It, it's not where I'm going. And we just agreed. Okay. This is your share of it. I bought him out. And since then it's been basically just me. So.
0: Okay. That's actually a pretty clean break.
1: It is. Yeah. And. Again, fortuitous. I've also seen things where everybody gets together, they're great friends, but then you throw the business into it and things go astray. Right? We had the um, a story of one of the retailers I know. They basically he had some business partners. They said they were paying the sales taxes. They decided, you know what, we're going to move to another state. Um, see ya. Been nice knowing you. And he ended up getting saddled with a $20,000 uh, sales tax debt. Uh, nice. these are all things that I would say, yes, if you're going to consider partners, try to get as much stuff as possible in writing on how it's going to work. If you decide to exit, what is your exit strategy? If, if your partner leaves you, uh, can you, is he going to want all the money up front or if you got to close the store? Can you work something out? Will you pay him a time, you know, over a month's period of years, two years, 10, whatever? Um, when you have another person in there, it becomes immensely more complicated, and the same goes for your spouse. <laughs> that will be something that uh, – if everything is fine and great, uh, is fine, but if there's a divorce, as um, a matter of fact, the, the gentleman who owned um, Wargames War West Central, the distributor I originally started with, uh, the, one of the main reasons for the close down was a, a divorce and no agreement on how do we do this, and it was just like, okay, we sell it. This is your part. This is your part, and we shut it down. Kind of situation. So,
0: yeah, that, that can be harsh. Yep, but life it happens. I mean, definitely it's, throws it's, a wrench into your plans every once in a while. And if you don't sure. have a some sort of a, a backup, it can sure. really bring things crashing down.
1: Sure. And as much as you try, you try to put everything in there, things will still come up that are so. You know, you go back to the drawing table and you figure it out. I would say, if you have a partnership, you should renew and and. Uh, redo those documents on a yearly basis because your business changes a lot uh you might not have carried singles before and now you're carrying singles so how do you equate those right you split those you try to sell them and split the profits who yeah ownership and as things change you want to update those documents on a yearly basis basically
0: yeah i guess it would also help to make sure both of you are on the well all of your partners are on the same page you're both going in the same direction you you still want the same things every year Like that's, again life changes too right
1: yeah, and expectations, right? You might have a silent partner. You might have somebody who just has money and goes, look, dude, yeah. um, I want to get this much return on investment, and you do what you got to do. But if that's not set, and then all comes when the silent partner isn't happy and decides that he's going to call the shots, and you're the manager, you don't agree with his shots, yeah, put the stuff on paper. But but yes, if you're – the most people tend to be sole owners, right, And and then you get into the whole like – Sole proprietorship versus corporations, et cetera, et cetera. But let's just talk about ownership. Most of these stores tend to be a sole proprietor, and uh, you're okay. But if you have more than one, establish as much as you can ahead of time.
0: Mm -hmm, For sure. Okay, can you describe your store for me?
1: Sure. So um, the current store – well, the store is (laughs) – it's changed a lot, like I was saying. We started with 300 square feet. We are now sitting at about uh, a little over 3,000 square feet. Now, we have a, a store and a small mail-order distribution center that handles all our mail-order because we do both. We do um, internet and brick-and-mortar sales. Um, so the store itself, just talking about the brick-and-mortar, it's a little over 3,000 square feet. The store is uh, – it's always been one thing that's been common with all our stores when we moved and kind of expanded, et cetera, et cetera. It's always been – that. Um, Again, not right or wrong. I've seen it done both ways. Our store is mostly centered around the play area. So we have, um are you familiar when I say a racetrack model, what I mean by that?
0: No, describe that.
1: Okay. So a racetrack model would be that basically your customers, as they're coming in, they're basically doing a loop, much like a racetrack. Think an Indy 500 sort of loop. So all the product is located on the outside walls, right? Okay. Um, we don't have middle aisles or anything like that. Um, the majority of the center floor, is dedicated to gaming space. So the good things about that would be that when you walk in, you immediately see, we usually keep nine tables out at all times during the weekends. We take more staples out of our storage uh, and we go down to 15 tables kind of situation. Um, So, we have toppers that can convert those tables from regular board game slash card game setup to a 4x6 for miniature games. Um, but again, as you walk in, the first thing you're going to see is going to be these tables in the play area. And you're going to see, we have three tables set up, and they rotate every week as far as the terrain that's in there, because they're very visually engaging. Uh, nothing against card tables, but there's nothing on them, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you might have a nice tablecloth, but that's about it. When you, when you walk in, a lot of people just get flabbergasted by this great Flames of War layout, and you know, it's a war Or two village or city and it looks great Uh, so it engages them right off the bat with a non maybe commercial viewpoint they have that decompression zone right at the front beginning Mm -hmm. of the store and then they get engaged with something that i can approach them with because they'll ask what is this what game is this for right and it moves it away from the like i am here to sell you something to hey this is a hobby too right so yeah there's so many cool things here Right. We're here to make okay. you happy. I mean, I, I always tell my employees, there's no such thing as a bad game or a good game. There's bad matchups, right? I am happy <laughs> when you compare the right game to the right customer. Because again, like I don't play a lot of magic. Actually, I don't play magic, but. Um, I have to be able to recognize the person that comes in that likes that sort of deck building and the complexity of every new set that comes out introduces new rules and new cards, right? So I have to be able to match that customer with his perfect game. Um so, anyways, back to the description of the store. So you get this racetrack like layout. So all the, the product on the is is on the walls basically, and you have the central game area. There's my office, which is the one luxury, which with a window. You know, I need to have a quiet place where I can go hide sometimes because mm-hmm. The customers I'm not the, the nicest person on the face here, I didn't have a Marine Corps background. I'm from New York, I'm Italian, So I wear my emotions on my skin, if I'm having a bad day, it's fairly visible, but they always want to come talk to me. So I need a place where, if I got to go yell at the UPS guy because he decided to show up before we open and doesn't want to come back until tomorrow, I need to be able to go do that somewhere or uh, you know off the sales floor. So we have that. we have a little receiving room, we have a storage room, right? Um, That's the internal layout of the store. The bad thing about having all that gaming area right there, part of the store, is there's a constant policing we have to do. I'm sorry. I understand that you don't get offended by dropping the F-bomb every other sentence, but the second you do, mom walks in and she's never coming back with her kid, right? So mm-hmm. we have to make sure that people behave in a civil manner. Uh, we also have to make sure they don't get too close because they like to move the chairs around and maybe block at the aisle and the product. So it is a constant monitoring and pick up after their trash, right? Because it's very miserable. It's right there. Um, I've been to stores that, that literally rented the suite next door. And it, again, not wrong or right. I wouldn't do it that way because when I went in the store, the store part of it, Felt that there was nothing going on. There wasn't one employee that was receiving an invoice, and he was just sitting there, you know, just pouring over the invoice. I think he said it all to me, but that's – and then I went to the space next door, which was still part of the same store, but it literally wasn't even joined, right? It was two separate doors you go into. Okay. Um, And it was a a mosh pit. I mean (laughs) people were basically hanging from the rafters. Trash was everywhere. They were cussing, you know. So – it didn't give me a very good vibe, so I'd rather take the the whole. Look, it's a pain in the neck. You got to deal with it. We'll lose some customers. We've actually had some customers telling, "Look, we don't like coming here because we can't listen to our music the way we want to. We can't talk the way we want to." And I accept that. I can't be everything to everybody. And of course. You know, ultimately, I got my vision. I'm going to stick to it for the time being, and my employees share that too. So that, that's good. They help in that sense. Right? I can't be there 24 seven.
0: That's good. So, would you say the whole play space is worthwhile? Like how much yeah, would, uh, proportion does it take up for your store?
1: Uh it's it's a pretty big proportion. As I said, all the center, we don't put in the aisles in the middle. So mm-hmm. if I had to say something, floor space wise, it's probably a good seventy percent. Right. Then a of lot. office. Yeah, it's it is. But I mean we still manage to squeeze a lot of product on the shelves. It's just you have to, you know, work wonders with slat wall. Um mm-hmm. now, is it worth it or not? So here, here's my fundamental thing with, with, um, organized play. Um, again, I said, I run an online store and I run a uh, brick and mortar store. When we moved originally, the store was born in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is the third largest area in Arizona. However, it's only 50,000 people, which hmm. 20,000 college students, I believe. So they're cyclical in the summer. They're not there. They're there in the winter. Anyways, when we move from there to, um, Nevada, there was a period of about two years that I was just running mail order because we're still looking for a place and trying to get everything situated, right? Um, So we moved the warehouse first. Uh, The problem with mail order is while you know, there are people that are out there that don't have a friendly local game store or their friendly local game store isn't as friendly as it needs to be and just Mm -hmm. doesn't cater to their needs, is that it's it's fairly parasitical, right? We don't recruit any new people with mail order. Um, My apologies to any mail order-only businesses out there. Um, The reality is I feel like you need brick-and-mortar stores. You need a place for them to grow that community, right? And it doesn't necessarily happen in somebody's garage and somebody's – Uh, basement, uh, you know, or or living room. It's literally people get exposed to this and continue. So for me, my whole goal with organized play is to provide a service to the community. I don't necessarily want to make money on organized play. I mean, uh, if it's a competitive tournament or things like that, slightly different – equation but for the most part we try to stick to events that just generate excitement and keep people playing and get new people in or bring people that have maybe fallen out of the community back into the community so in that sense i feel it needs to be very visible and, and yes a brick and mortar store is essential for growing the game industry and the gaming community so i don't want to make money on the events i don't want to put myself out of business by giving out a thousand dollars and charging you know 50 cents in entry fee kind of situation so it needs to be that balance it needs to be Good for the community, it needs to give them excitement, it needs to give them that, and it needs to also um, not put our store out of business. Um, so, is it worth it? Yes, yes, without a doubt.
0: Okay, uh, I just want to know. I would definitely agree with the uh, the sentiment. I think that if, if for example, every single local game store were to just disappear, th- the games that they support would also just disappear. Like if there's sure. no central location for a community to to build around, mm-hmm. then yeah, like. The All the games just go casual and everyone kind of suffers in that way. Sure. And in the same way, you can't, like, if every store went online and didn't have a retail location, the same kind of thing would happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, uh, you know, again, there are some people that are fed up, right? They had a bad experience. They went to a store that just doesn't cater their needs, or the guy behind the counter is just an absolute bear or whatever. Not. So and I understand, you know, um, the reality is, though, it's short sighted to think that, you know what? I'm just going to get a forum online, recruit players that way. We'll just do conventions. You know, the reality is when you're there 365 days a year, if something happens to your group, you have a fallback, right? It's great. We have, we've had people who met for D and D encounters, which is like a weekly national organized play for D and D, right? Mm -hmm. Really, really uh, gelled that that group was really happy. But they want to have a beer, right? While they play D&D. I'm I'm not going to be able to do that for them. So they retreated to their house. Okay. Am I offended? No, by all means, man. I did what I was supposed to do. I I married your group, right? (laughs) Okay. So and so. Yeah. I mean, um, we're matchmakers. Games to people, people to people. That's really what a a big core of what we do is, right? So uh, as a store owner, um, a store employees, et cetera, et cetera. So the problem was if one of those persons changed this shift, or um, moved out of town, or we've had a case where a fatality, right, kind of situation. Hmm. You can see this disintegration. And if you don't have a fallback, because I've seen the same group, two members come back in going, look, we had an argument, the guy didn't like my wife's cooking, whatever the case was, I don't remember. But they were back in the store, and they started playing again. That's two people that did not exit the hobby. Those were two people that still kept playing and were able to find a new group that they were happy with. Now, they're playing in the store right now. If they go back to their house. That that's fine. That's great. The important thing is they're playing games.
0: Okay, let's uh, let's talk about your your games then. So you've described your store. What uh, what products do you carry other than magic? Uh,
1: we are one hundred percent dedicated tabletop games. We don't do any um, computer games. We don't do any um, uh, any very very limited. We're starting to see a little bit more kind of like collectibles now they're game related like a small world had the statues commission and takenoko for those of you not familiar these are board games i'm talking about but mm-hmm. they're just what it is they took people really like the components for that game for whatever you know the artwork and that. And they made some 3d statues so we're carrying some on that game of thrones is pretty hot right now so we have some mugs but for the most part every product in our store is tied into a game we don't do comics uh, again i'm not saying this is wrong or right um if it works for you, excuse me. Then, then by all means. Um, we just three thousand square feet, and then it's three thousand square feet of just games. That's all we do. Um, so uh, we basically our bread and butter are the three main categories, which will be CCGs, mm. uh, board games, and our and um, uh, role play. I'm sorry, miniature games. Mm. And they're, they they change a little bit, but roughly a third of my business comes from each one of those categories. RPGs is very underrepresentative. It's really hot now. It's grown by 2%, which now accounts for 8% of my annual sales because of the D&D 5.0 and Fantasy Flight has put out some excellent uh, Star Wars titles that have been really going really good. And, and, and Pathfinder is also pretty steady. But in general, if there's one category that I can't say I can't pay the rent on would be RPGs. We still have them in the store because again, we are a game store and it would be a disservice not to have that. And let's face it, 8% is still 8%. We don't want to throw that away. So, yeah. um, we're very diversified. Um, miniatures eat up probably the majority of space in the store. So many different lines. Um, you can't just carry one Flames of War blister, right? You got to have a good selection or if we'll consider you a Flames of War stock as, um, with that comes other accessories. They eat up a lot of space, things like uh, bags to transport your miniatures, foam to put them into, uh, brushes, um, propellants, seal, airbrushes, et cetera, et cetera. So they eat up a lot of space, and actually they tie up probably the majority of inventory dollars. Um, but that's, that's the beast of miniatures. You can't just sort of do miniatures. you really sort of need to invest time money um and and space to it and then board games is is people say now it's a really big category i think it's a category what it's done is much like magic did with generation the younger people it sort of breached out from we got to remember that us as geeks were a very small percentage of the population there is a lot more of us now Mm. but there's a whole a whole bajillion people that don't even know what it is that we do so what board games have done right now they kind of expanded more reaching more of these people people are not thinking of just monopoly they're thinking of things like settles katan and then of course there's there's ccgs who you know magic always turns you know in and, and the beauty of those is in general they don't occupy a lot of space so um You know, you can afford to make a living. We've seen the rise of single category stores. Their stores are now just do magic, really. Uh, You know, I mean, um, I'm sure everybody here is familiar with Star City Games. If you go to their Mm -hmm. website, I don't think they have anything but magic singles and magic boxes on their website. Last I checked, I haven't been there in a while. But, um, you know, so single categories, no, we're, we're definitely games. So all three of the major categories and RPGs, too, so.
0: Okay. You deliberately avoided single category though, right?
1: Um, no, it's not that we avoided. So we started with singles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it definitely started my store, but literally I think within two months of, so going to conventions, um, Bring you singles as easily, right? I mean you, you bring a couple of, uh, of binders, several boxes, and you set up shop at a convention. You're good to go. And this is back in 94. Things have changed a little bit now. Mm-hmm. We can get into that in, if you want in a second. But uh, finishing the thought of singles, Um, but within that first year, me and my old business partner, Mike, we didn't know where Magic was going. We're like, you know, it's it's going good, but what's going to happen, right? I mean remember Pogs? They yep. were hot. <laughs> you know, They're gone. Um, and then all so of a sudden we they were gone. Uh, Right. And if you, if you do some math, when, th- within that first year of magic coming out, there were 80 offerings for collectible guardians on the market to this day, two from that initial year survive, which is Legend of Five Rings and Magic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a difficult business too, but we're like, okay, so what do we do? And we looked into miniatures. We started with Man of War with Games Workshop right off the bat to kind of diversify because like if die, Magic dies tomorrow, do we want our dream to die with it? No. So, um, over the years, though, the problem with singles is how do I – we now have nine employees. And by the way, if anybody needs a job and you're in Vegas, we're looking for three more. Hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. So we have nine employees right now. How do you – and we're all sort of like, as I said, I'm not a magic guy. I'm a board games and miniatures guy. Um, and We have our magic people on staff. But how do we make sure when that customer comes into our store, gets the same experience that he would um, – when he sells a card to us, then he would if he talks to me or he talks to – that was important to me, right? You know, a lot of times you go in the store, look, if you go there, when Joe's there, he'll give you a better deal than Bob, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to set up sort of a very standardized system, et cetera, et cetera some magic layers, not all, uh sort of resent that, right? They want that wheel and deal. We don't. Um so our, our singles isn't it's more of a service we do to our customers. Um, you know, there's sometimes where it's like, hey man, I'm having a bad week. Can I trade you in these two to pay for F and M tonight, right? We want to make sure that's there for them. Or, you know, somebody opened up a great pack. Um, they don't want that card, but they're really eyeballing that board game on the shelf. Yes, we want them to be able to trade it in and, and, and get something and buy that board game with it. So we've had a. We're definitely not the best single store in Vegas. Um, you know, I don't even really want to try to claim to be. Um, it, we do offer it mostly as a service. Look, you want to sell your cards because you need some extra money? Great, awesome, it's here. Um, but in general, we don't dedicate just to that. Does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: I mean, and that being said. I, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 5,000 singles that are in the store right now. So there is a pretty good amount. It's just, you know, they don't eat up a lot of space. Uh, uh, we also make it a point. Um, so the, our system is, is fairly simple. If we have a card, um, we do keep a copy of it. As far as the rares, we don't do comics on comics. We just leave them in boxes. But, you know, in our cabinets, so you can see it and see what it does. But we keep everything in a safe in the back room kind of situation. So, you know, you want to buy that card, we have to look up how many we have and get you whatever you want. You know, so.
0: Okay, that's so, another uh, interesting point to finding out how different stores display their their inventory. Sure, uh, there's different strategies for each one and different concerns too
1: for for us being a mixed store right we don't want to sit here no disrespect to a magic player but i mean if he's in there and he wants to browse singles for two hours i I can't tie down an employee for two hours and possibly make a hundred dollar sale a thousand dollar sale or 50 cent sale right there's another customer that's looking to buy board games or guy that needs a question answered with the so the solution of just making copies and leaving the copies out for display means that you want to take that binder and go sit down at the table and rifle through it. By all means, here's pen and paper. Let me know what you want, and I'll pull them for you when you're ready. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, it was it was sort of like a solution for us out of desperation of just, hey, we couldn't afford the time really. We were doing disservice to other customers by dedicating so much time just to that singles kind of category.
0: Yeah, so you created a self-serve system.
1: Uh For the most part, yeah, I mean, we'll still answer questions. If somebody's got a question because uh, we get a lot of newer players and they're always like, "What does you know Island Walk mean and where's it this mm-hmm. do you know kind of situation um and I've seen some stores um we might end up doing this eventually, actually set up a kiosk for people to be able to look through the singles electronically that they have you know so there are there are solutions to this, but again it's it's a matter of motivation if, if, if like we have some stores here in town, one store in particular I believe a customer is saying, John, you know I, don't, I, I go to this store more because he helps me build my deck and that's great right. I mean that's that's yeah, but he does comics and singles, right? He doesn't do anything else. so if if that's what his passion is and he's happy with that look when I on my spare time, I want to help people build decks. I don't have that time. Am I a bad merchant? to some customers yes um you know but at the same token uh, i'm also thinking sure that i'm paying the electric bill so yeah it's it's a matter of where do you want to be what do you want to do and who can you help right who,
0: yeah and you got to sort of choose and that's just the way business goes you can't please everybody because if you try you please no one so indeed choose your battles mm-hmm. okay so you mentioned the uh, your convention strategy Sure. So uh, let's uh, talk about that. What, what if uh, I wanted to go to a convention and I wanted to sell magic cards? What would you tell me?
1: Mm, uh, <laughs> I I don't know. You then need to look at your convention, right? Okay. Uh, that makes a lot of difference. We uh, at one point in time, I think somebody. Um, Either to my face or backwards, accuse me of me not liking conventions without even conventions. Would I even know that I started my business at conventions? The reality is, in the past 20 years, conventions have changed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's this thing called the internet that makes the world available at your fingertips. So 20 years ago. Tell me more. Yeah. uh, the, the, The convention used to be a focal meeting point for a lot of things, not just to go play games, right? So, but like to shop. If I don't get this here now, I'm not going to be able to find it elsewhere. Now, when we went down to Mexico, my my mom and a couple of years ago, we found this incredible bottle of uh, vanilla-infused tequila, right? Um, We bought it there. We drank it. We're out. I go to the website. They ship it to me, and I can get it. I don't have to go back to Mexico to get it. Mm -hmm. So the the, the market for conventions is a little little bit interesting now because I – we didn't – we used to be heavy in conventions. Then we stopped doing conventions because it was literally not worth the return on investment. Once we had a website and we were doing pretty good with it, our customers could find us and find our product, right? Um, now we're sort of having – so what we do, what we were doing for a while was just trying to support – because the problem is that a lot of the local conventions are still very small for us. Um, and you go, hey, I'm going to have 100 people here. And I'm like – so I don't want to – be mean but i rotate 100 to 200 players on a given saturday for me easy right yeah. it just happens and and so if you're if you have a convention that's bringing me 200 of my same players uh, in order for me to man a booth there and maybe get some sales i have to pay two employees to go there you got to have at least two if somebody's got to go to the bathroom or go get lunch what is he going to do right um they got to set up tear down bring product worry about being stolen etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. And the return on investment isn't very great as far as the sales, right? Um, so we, what we've been doing is, you know, hey, until your convention grows, I'm talking thousands of people, right? Here's gift certificates. I'll gladly give you prize support, things like that in exchange for some advertising space on your convention, flyer on your, you know, and that's worked out pretty good. Um, but in order for us to actually go sell there, um, you need to look at the convention and figure out how much money can you get out of it. And I want to be, capitalistic and, and mercenary, but the reality is what do you, what's your return on investment, right? And what are you doing by closing your store if you're the only person that runs a store and going to that convention, right? How much sales are you losing there? Or hiring extra staff to go to that convention and run that boot for you, right? We've had times where we've sent one of our employees Just to do demos and games and just give out flyers, right? So there's different ways to support conventions per se, Mm. and there's different ways that conventions can give you a return on your investment. You just have to, if I was lucky enough to um, live nearby a a large convention, I would probably go without a doubt. But even when you look at something like Gen Con, so Gen Con is huge, right? But when you go to Gen Con, you're competing with Fantasy Flight Games, has there are new releases there because they're trying to recoup some of their costs, right, um, to set up this huge boot, play these all these employees, et cetera, et cetera. So you're competing with manufacturers who can release product early, and your only maybe giving point would be if you're a singles person, you have stuff that somebody else might not, right? If you're sitting on a Black Lotus and Star City games in the same room, they run out, and somebody really wants that Black Lotus, it's a supply and demand thing. Yeah. But for general mass consumption stuff, hey, man, I can go buy… Armada from you, or I can go buy it from the guy next door. What deal would you give me? So, you you know, there's a sort of like balancing of the pricing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, it's different now. The Internet has changed things a lot for going to a convention to sell stuff. Again, we don't do it. We just helped out with a convention um, a, a, It's really a big major uh, 40K, and they had um, – convention. I want to say they had about 1,200, 1,300 people, and we lost money on setting up a booth there and stuff like that. So when you look at it, the other thing you can get from convention would be advertising, and again, you got to look at it. What's your cost per impression? Google can do a wonderful job of that, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, right? Where do you put your money? Make that decision. Now, if you want to go to that convention, run a boot for a couple hours, and then shut down, go play games, that's your motivation. That's a win, right? It's just a matter of what do you want out of it.
0: Yeah, that seems fair. Mm -hmm. Would you say it's a a reasonable statement to say that if you don't have an established presence, like you have a website now, you have an internet following. If you don't have that, would a convention be a good way to jumpstart that to get the ball rolling?
1: I, I think, again, um, based on the convention size, right, and, and yeah. where – because uh, if it's not bringing – if you're trying to look up a new store in Las Vegas and you go to a convention to let people know that you're a new store in Las Vegas, yes, it would be worth it. If you, on the other hand, are um, the only store in your town and you're going to a convention that has mostly your people, your customers, uh, you, they know you, right? So yeah, you're not going to get too out much of out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Okay. So let's jump back a little bit. Sure. Tell me what your store is known for. Um,
1: in-depth uh, product selection and product knowledge—that's definitely uh, one of our big selling points. Um, again, no disrespect to people who decide to mix comics, and we're, we're not now. In the past year, we've seen a lot of competitors open up, but up until ninety, sorry, two thousand and. The end of 2014, we're the only dedicated game store in Vegas. Everybody else was a video game store, comic book store. They also did the games. So in a sort of sense, of way, we are the mecca for, um, for games, right? That's, that's what we do. That's our bread and butter. So we're known for that. Um, I would say some people. Again, I have a a New York mentality of very straight to the point and like, how can I help you? Okay, good. Or, mm-hmm. I've helped you. Now I need to go back to business kind of situation. Um, I've sort of noticed a difference between uh, cultures. Here, people just want to lounge around and talk, and I usually let my employees take care of that. I, I have things I need to get done. Otherwise, you know, the orders don't get done and people don't get their stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So… Maybe I personally have a reputation for being very military driven and and sort of like um, cleaning the bathroom to a certain spec, you know, and making sure there's no dust and tables got to be aligned. So you can look at that in a good way. People love me for it. And if you're not that kind of a person, people don't like me for it. Right. (laughs) So but yes, that's one of our we are clean. We are clean uh, and we are known as a store. We're not a hangout. We're not a Joe's Bob's Gaming Garage slash Emporium. We're definitely a a business.
0: Okay. That's a pretty good position to be in, the Mecca for games. Um,
1: Again, um, and it depends on how you look at it. I mean, we actually had another retail friend of mine who I think he's sitting on four stores now. At one point in time, he had seven. But he was told by a customer that he specifically went to one of the stores that he hated – they, not sorry that the owner hated because it wasn't clean enough it wasn't bright enough it wasn't in a good area of town but the customer would go there bypassing is much newer much cleaner much prettier store because it felt too commercial right so mm-hmm. again it depends on how you look at it some people might decide not to come to me because hey if i go to bob he's got my weekly comics and i can pick up a i don't know a deck of magic right so yes there are good things and bad things that go when you when you sort of have a uh, my focus is games entirely not just this game and that game versus being the jack of all trades. Sometimes you can get some things for it. Um, I, I agree with you though. I feel like I'm in a good position for being the mecca of games kind of situation.
0: Okay. So you've been open for a very long time at this point. You've had uh, a lot of experience, I'm sure with the business, with the customers, with everything. Have you ever, well, can you tell me about uh, something that's set you back uh, a failure some point in your store's history that you've overcome?
1: Yeah, so I feel like when, so when we were in 2005, I think was the year, um, my wife was going to culinary school out in Scottsdale. And we, the business, like I said, started in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, And, you know, being a part Sucks, but we're like, okay, let's make the sacrifice. You, you want to become a chef. Um, when she was getting close to graduating, um, we we're sort of looking at options. And the reality was that, uh, Flagstaff, as much as I love the town, it's a, it's a nice little town. It's, it's just that. It's, it's a n- nice little, little town. town. Uh, and, and there weren't a lot of opportunities for her, um, you know, uh, to really further her career or for the store to grow. We got to a certain point where the internet sales were dominating the brick and mortar sales in the town because there's just, wasn't enough people. 50,000 is not a huge pool to draw from. Um, so we just sort of made this decision. She used to live in Vegas, and a lot of people may not like Vegas. I love Vegas. It gives me a small-town feel where I live, but I can go get the big city effect if I go to the Strip, right? But So we made the decision to move to Vegas, and when we did that, we really, really tried hard to keep the store running in, in, uh, in Flagstaff. The reality is within a month of me being gone – our sales dropped 75%. So that was a huge setback. We The lease mm-hmm. was coming up. We decided not to renew it. And that was that period when we were in transition and we were, all we were doing was mail order. Um, uh, I felt like a, that was a really kind of disservice to the industry in general and a setback for, for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I hope that I never have to make that decision again. And I also hope that uh, I am getting better at... Uh, that was part of the realization is like, John, it can't be all about you. It can't be that when you leave, the store sales go down 75%, right? And again, I repeat, I'm not the nicest person <laughs> on the face of the earth and not the easiest person to get along with. Um, so I've I've tried really hard in the past three, four years to really make sure that, uh, my staff is the store, not me. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know how to express that. Obviously for, for entrepreneurs and stuff, but that's your lifeblood. It's who you are, right? And, and there's a lot of, this is your, your store is you. So again, that was a setback.
0: Yeah, for sure. So how did you get past it?
1: Well, um, we looked, you know, and uh, at, at the time I just became involved with the warehouse and we looked and looked for store locations. As it As it turned out, I, I tend to be very open with my quote unquote competitors. What a lot of people understand is the reality is you can't have this attitude of if Bob goes out of business, I'll make more money. Probably not. More than likely, we're just both losing customers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so I keep a very open relationship with most of the, the guys that choose to do is Some of them, again, have this mentality. If I, if they, if they can shut me down, they'll make more money, but let's just gloss over those people. Um, so I was talking to a guy who, had a game store sort of nearby where I had my my house at the time, and he was going through some difficulties he, was, he had a divorce he had to get out right, but the problem is he was stuck in a three year lease so what we ended up doing is we talked and we helped him out because he needed to get out right and uh, we assumed his lease and uh sort of got back on the brick and mortar side of things and uh, um that sort of got us back on track and again. I've made it a point ever since then to try to make sure that my employees are empowered. My employees uh, can make decisions. Um, I equate them a lot of times, and they hate this, I'm sure. But um, I don't hire – oh, boy, here's where I fend some Army, Air Force, and, and Navy people. But I don't hire those guys. I hire Marines. I mean, we we Marines are 300,000 strong, no more than that. So you have to wear many hats, and you typically tend to do leadership at a much lower position. So all my guys have to really be ready to – Okay, good. John just started a to attack and you're in charge of the store. Okay, go. Um, so they're, I'm empowering them more and more every day to make sure that they can make the decisions and sometimes don't make some bad calls, but that's okay. That's the learning process, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's my, I, I can't throw them under the bus at that point in time. I just have to make sure that, okay, let's talk about like, yeah, you were upset at the customer, but if you just, just diffuse the situation that it did this versus, you know, taking a, a high point or whatever. But, They're good. They're actually really, really good. And it's the reason why, well, I'm able to talk to you now versus being at work seven days a week. You know what I mean?
0: Okay. So definitely recommend something along those lines. If, if you're hiring employees, if you're looking to replace yourself, look for leaders, look for people who can work autonomously. Don't look for
1: drones. Look for, look for thinkers yeah i mean fundamentally there is that again this is a challenge for me and uh, my second in command brooke she is she is awesome one of the struggles we have it's like we can't cover everything there is no way you can possibly hit right an operations manual that covers everything situations will come up right um you will have made that tough call you as the employee um and, and that's what we're looking for somebody they can if this was my business right um uh-huh. What call would I make? What's the best interest of the customer and the business? Because it's a, um, my de- I have a degree in public relations, and, and really what that is is the, uh, the establishing mutually beneficial relationships, right? So it's got to work for the customer. It's also got to work for the store. So if the guy wants the magic pack at twenty five cents. That's not very good, but you know, he, I don't know. He just, somebody just stole his old car worth of singles. He's trying to get back on his feet. Sure, you're authorized to cut him a bit of a discount to get in some extra cards, you know. So,
0: yeah, try and create a win-win situation as many times as you sure. can. Indeed. Okay. So what's the what's the biggest success you've had? You've gone over some some tough times. What's the what's the best time?
1: Uh, now, uh, it's incredible. Last five years, we posted double-digit growth, and I, I don't know. Um, it's interesting, right? We have a lot more competitors. By my last count, and this was I think last summer, we had thirteen stores now running in Friday Night Magic in in Vegas, and there's more opening up. Um and we're still growing at an incredible pace, which which is also a challenge, right? Because again, it's difficult to go from I do everything to now you have nine people. This guy might not like that guy, this guy doesn't want to talk to that guy, he's mm-hmm. got an idea, right? So um it's incredible how much we've grown as an industry i'm a little scared and worried that um there's a possibility that there might be you know how if you look at the stock market right i mean it's, it's fueled by speculation and there are bubbles just like the housing market so mm-hmm. are we going to get to that point i don't know um another analogy i often use is uh, you got to think of it this way if if Let's pretend like store owners are people sitting around a pot of stew. So long as you're adding potatoes and meat to that stew, you can keep adding mouths to feed, right? That's fine. So our job as store owners, as, as a manufacturer's publisher is to keep adding those potatoes. Those, they, they need, we need to grow the player base. We need to go to customer base before we can add more. Um, stores they can eat off of that kind of situation, so um, we're in a great mm. time of prosperity. I hope it continues. Uh, I don't know if it is, is <laughs> partially what we do. Um, we always try to look at our store first and foremost, and how do we make it better next year? How do we continue? So,
0: okay, okay. So, do you feel that Magic might be a bubble?
1: Um. I don't know. It's not a bubble. It's obviously sat here for 21 plus years, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. um, however, did it have its ups and downs? Yes. I mean, it's going to happen, right? I mean, uh, I don't see really realistically a continued staggering growth. Now, it's had a, a... the introduction of the Xbox PC versions of them, I, we saw a lot of people that had stopped playing Magic, get back into Magic. We saw a lot of people that weren't playing Magic becoming Magic players. What we're also seeing, though, is there is a burnout, right? Um, my mission is if you burn out a Magic – because Magic is a weird beast, right? I mean you get totally involved and engrossed in it. I mean you go – some people go deep Super in, deep. right? I'm, yeah, I'm going to be the next pro player. I'm going to do that, and that's a, that's a costly endeavor. It's also soul crushing when you get smashed, right? I mean, it's 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 the difference between enjoying little league, right? And then now you're in an MDMLB, and dude, you got to perform, kind of situation, mm-hmm. right? So when it stops being a hobby, it starts becoming a job. You might not like it. So what we're seeing and what our job is, if you get out of magic or you get out of 40K, or whatever now not, we want to keep you playing something, right? Because there's all levels of play. You don't have to be oh, kind of situation. So I think now where we are in the industry, even if magic all of a sudden were to evaporate tomorrow, what we're seeing is this people that are getting out of magic, they're getting in the board games, or so maybe they're playing a more casual card game like um Oh, I don't want to make it the service to Netrunner, but I'm less like you're familiar with living card games. Yeah. Right. So a model where you not necessarily have to go chase rares or anything like that. You just buy whatever pack you want whenever you want to and expand your collection that way, kind of situation. Um, so uh, I feel like we're a lot more stable. Um, so even if magic were to. Implode tomorrow. I don't think our store will go out of business, right? um What that would do to Wizards, I don't know. I mean, they, mm. they've tried to diversify, right? I mean, to be honest with you, they have two gigantic properties, D and D, um, and Magic. But I don't know if you notice, they started doing board games, right? I mean, they're, they're also looking to diversify. You don't necessarily want to. I don't think Magic can possibly ever go out overnight. However, we'll have ups, ups and downs. Yes, yes, it will.
0: Yeah, there's always going to be periods of decline, but. Sure. Uh... Yeah, I would agree. The last five years have been massive growth, basically. Like, the player base for Magic has been almost, uh, probably doubling in the last decade, multiple times. From what I've noticed personally in my area, but also just from people I've talked to all around North America, it's been steadily growing and growing and becoming more and more popular. But it's got a, it's got a peak at some point, right?
1: Right. Well, and that's, like, you know, when I... Me and our guys, we keep looking every year after year. And when you're talking about posting double-digit growths, you're compounding on the previous year and the year yeah. before that, right? So, at what point in time do you go? How much longer can this go? Right. the scary part for me, being a store owner, I mean, I don't have a Wizards' budget, right? But, but let's let's pretend like you decide, you know what? Let's annex another three thousand square feet and make this double the size. What happens if a third of your income goes away, right? Yeah. Maybe you just doubled your expenses kind of situation. So
0: yeah, you know. part of the Risk of business, right?
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It definitely so.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a philosophical question, though. But sure. you've been open for a very long time. You've been in business for a long time. What does success look like to you? You've, I would say you've got a very successful business, but what does it mean to you? Um... The fact
1: for the past 20 years – well, let's just say in the past 17 years because, like I said, the first three years we really, didn't even think – I'm able to um, make a living by making people happy. I mean that's fundamentally um, – I can't measure success in a sense of like how much money I make because um, that's that's a real is cycle, right? It's weird. You go, oh, this year I made a million dollars. Next year I want a 1.5 million, right? Um it's something that I'm not a nurse, right? I don't help people in the hospital. I'm not even a vet, right? I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a, a missionary. I, I, but what I get is almost that same sort of feel that I've changed somebody's life. Um, I've introduced them to games. I've, uh, um, they have now something to do with their kids, right? And they're all in it together. It's, um, it's its own reward, right? We all get our bad customers. I, <laughs> I had a gentleman who was I wasn't there. It was referred to me by the staff. So I don't know how deeply they seem to be like this guy was really upset. Okay. Uh, he was, he was offended because we didn't have Star Trek items on sale, um, to commemorate the death of Leonard Nimoy, right? So we're all going to have those kind of like oddball customers. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think me and you are on the same wavelength here, right? But we tend to remember those more than we do sometimes. The guy that comes in and goes, or when I left Flagstaff, all the kids that used to play 40k for me hand wrote me cards. I mean, I had a kid that, cause I played, um, Tyranids, do a, uh, a greeting card with a hive tyrant ripping off a space marine's head, which <laughs> mom was cringing, right? But I, I, I teared up, right? So those are the kind of things that I can't, those, that's successful to me. Changing somebody's life, making them happy, uh, giving them something for their hard earned dollar that brings them joy, right? Um, Luckily, I don't have to give people root canals, <laughs> so you know I, I sell fun, and that's definitely um, it's a very rewarding part of my of my business. And I would say that we're definitely successful at that. So,
0: good answer. Okay, let's get down to something very specific. Sure. You had to pick something. What is it that makes your business successful?
1: Uh again, we treat it like a business. Um we we do make hard calls, right? Um look, um if we're gonna do Pro Tour Qualifier, which we've done several in the past, we need to move it off site. It's it's a different environment than our regular crowd of people, right? So we have to do that. Um it is difficult decisions, but again, for the interest that we always think of the business as a business in its publics, right? What's the best call? It costs us more money to move the event off site, um, you know, and it might not make some people happy because now they have to travel to the center of the city instead of where we are located, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a best decision for the business. Um, ah, man, we got to clean the bathroom every day. Yeah, yeah, we do. It sucks, right? Mm-hmm. But it is a business, it's not uh, just Joe Bob's uh, hangout kind of situation. So uh, that's definitely something that I, I feel. Uh, answers your question directly uh, look yeah. at your business as a business right you might hate i don't know I, I don't hate anything in particular for games but you might not like pokemon if your customers want to buy pokemon from you hey you better stop that pokemon Just, yeah, right right exactly so good stuff
0: okay so what's uh what's coming up in the near future for little shop of magic um
1: well you said you were talking about expanding well, yeah, there's um. so we're in the new our, we, we signed a seven year lease when we moved in the last location. We love our landlords. They're really good people. Um, They own a chain of kind of like uh, bars slash, you know, poker machine kind of things. And they, they're building a new corporate headquarters because we're in the same building as their corporate headquarters. They're upstairs and we have and they have a little warehouse behind us kind of thing. So there's a possibility in June, at the end of June, we have to renegotiate the lease and they want. To give me more space, and we kind of have to make that decision. Do we want to take more space now? Um, you know, and and customers always tell me, man, I wish you were on my side of the the, the city because it's weird. Um, I'm used to New York City, I'm used to um, Rome, Italy, where basically you can't even get in your car and not. (laughs) Like spend an hour looking for a parking spot, right? Mm -hmm. Here, you can get across town in about 30, 40 minutes with traffic, right? But people here have a very narrow mentality, what's too far away. So, you know, I mean, people always ask me, can open a second store? The reality is not until I have all the staff and personnel to remove myself from this store kind of situation, right? So those are all possibilities. I would say coming up right for us, right off the bat, it feels like we just got done with pre-release, launch party is today um <laughs> next week uh, april 11th is international tabletop day um we have may the 4th which is our annual star wars celebration and we all know now there are a million there are some really good star wars games in the market so it always seems like we're planning for the next big event we can't really finish playing this one you thinking about the next one mm-hmm. um and um but definitely yeah big Big kind of thing is we got to renegotiate the lease and figure out we're we moving the store and we're not moving the store. You know, until you sit down and talk to people, it's hard to establish. Um, they seem very happy with us. We're very happy with them. They want to keep us. But what if they say, hey, it's going to be double rent now, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely a big next
0: stepping stone for us. Exciting stuff. Yep. Okay. Well, if uh, if some listeners wanted to order something from you or they just wanted to come and talk to you, where do they find you?
1: Probably the best place to go is uh, www.shopofmagic.com, right? I mean that's – you're going to find our our address and everything like that. If uh, for some reason your your internet connection is severed and zombie apocalypse has come, um, we are at 4160 South Durango Drive, which is like six miles from the Strip. If you just go on Flamingo and you head westbound, you put Caesars Palace to your right and Bellagio to your left, and you go down that main street for six miles, you'll find that's –
0: are you guys on uh, Twitter, or Facebook?
1: We are, yes. So I should mention the social media. Um, yes, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus. I think one of our uh, one of our wizards has opened us an uh, Instagram account. I'm not sure on that because it's still being populated with stuff. So, but yes, we are on Google Plus, um, Twitter, and Facebook.
0: Great. Under Little Shop of Magic, I would assume you can find the whatever part, you need. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking to me about your sweet, sweet store. Thank you, Tom. Uh, yeah, Ed, is there anything you want to add before we uh, check out?
1: No, it's been a pleasure talking to you. If anybody ever has any questions about the business and whole, I, I – Gladly welcome. I actually sat on the board of director for the uh, Professional Game Store Association. That was one of the main goals: is to try to help out people either make that decision to jump in or not make that decision and waste. Uh, it, it can be an expensive decision to make a mistake on um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to open up a store. So, um, yeah, get a hold of me through the website. I'll gladly talk to you. That's not a problem. I, I I'm pretty open uh, about things and. Uh, in general, try to make sure that you, you know what you're getting into and, and you're happy with that decision or decision not to do it. Either, either way, whatever makes you happy, basically. So,
0: Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Thomas. You have a good day. You too. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Do you want to run better magic events with higher turnouts and players battling one another to stay on top of the standings week after week? Well, now you can. MTGLeaderboards.com is a system for creating and managing everything you need to run killer magic tournaments create seasons track player performance and get your players pumped to play in your store every day of the week check out mtgleaderboards.com sign up today and you'll get the early adopter special rate supercharge your magic events with mtgleaderboards.com thanks john for coming on the show i hope you guys enjoyed the interview if you're looking for more info tips tactics you know the usual head over to manversaga.com because that's where we talk about game partnership and the magic community and as always thanks for listening